This is the Software and Technology Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you information, education, and inspiration, only on MarketScale. The more diversity of thought of the people working at tech companies, the better. The blockchain idea was around 91, the same idea of in the digital world, we need verifiable documents. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast today. I'm your host, Tyler Kern, and joining me is the CEO of Amaryllis Payment Solutions. It's Mark Bishop. Mark, thank you so much for joining me today. Tyler, thanks. It's a pleasure to be able to be interviewed and look forward to the conversation. Absolutely. Same here. And and today we're going to be talking just about the differences between payment facilitation in a box and versus kind of a truly open platform that that can seamlessly adapt to requirements and to different aspects that businesses are looking for within payment ecosystems. So we're going to dive in and, and explore that. But before we really kind of get into the differences between those two systems, I, I wanted to just talk a little bit more about your background, Mark. Uh, what, what did you learn in your experience as a chief innovation, excuse me, chief information officer? Uh, previously in your career that really helped you see the need for something like what Amaryllis provides? Uh, and it's funny that you use innovation too because it can be interchanged, right? So <laughs> it's actually a good little slip there uh, w- without a problem at all. That uh, it, it, it's amazing how you learn, and I've been fortunate enough to be able to work for a consulting firm like Pricewaterhouse early in my career, even uh, in accounting and then computer science. And then you really start to dive into technology around movement of money. So whether that's fintech in terms of trading systems, so worked on Wall Street, worked in Manhattan to learn how to execute trades in Japan at the same time that somebody right next to the stock exchange could do it and keep them in as uh, competitively equal as possible, to then start to get into payments. And you know, my role as CEO, CEO CIO of one of the payment facilitators uh, back about eight years ago taught me that systems are key and we we all in the business there's you know hundreds of payment facilitators marketplaces aggregators um, we all do similar things so there's different terms in there but we all bring buyers and sellers together and so the key is how do we build an environment that can allow buyers and sellers to conduct business. And back in the day before cloud came, you had to build your own client server farms and make sure you had systems all over the world. And you made them very closed. You made them uh, very limiting because the technology just wasn't there to support anything more exotic than getting your KYC information and boarding merchants and making sure they can conduct transactions as safely as possible. And over time, as technology started to leapfrog each other and then cloud computing came into play it really became important in terms of the possibilities of what the technology could really do for these unique models and so my role kind of as the CIO before jumping over to acquiring banks and learning what the banks and financial institutions needed was really who could build a great platform that could really be repeatable and serve all these payment facilitators, marketplaces, aggregators, billers, all these people bringing buyers and sellers together. Why should they all build their own stuff when a core platform can be built? And so I've been fortunate enough being a consultant, being a CIO, being working for the bank in terms of payments and really seeing it from three, four different sides of what needs to happen. Uh, to make a platform successful. And there's a number of products out there now helping people in terms of bringing buyers and sellers together. And they're empowering other technologies to be able to make it easy to uh, to do that. Do you feel like your breadth of experience across 
you know, different aspects of the industry really helps give you an advantage just because you can see uh, from different perspectives just because of your job experience? It does. And that's the, the consulting in me, right? So we come at everything or East, you know, I personally as well, whenever there's an interaction with a client, it's always about them first. What are they after? What are their goals? What do they, what do they really want to be when they grow up? And you work with them to understand that maybe you think you want to be a pan facilitator or an aggregator because maybe you're not right now. Um, but maybe you should be thinking broader than that. Maybe you should be thinking, you know, that that may be next year, but what am I going to do two, three years from now? And so all the experiences that I've had from multiple sides of the table really give you that insight into what the other side's probably thinking. And that gives us a slight advantage to be able to already provide them. You'll hear me use this term often, give them what does good look like in these following scenarios and give them experiences uh, across different maturity spectrums so that they can kind of feel important in their own world instead of just dictating to them uh, an answer out of a book. Yeah, absolutely. That, that that makes a lot of sense to me. Just kind of allowing them to to feel like the hero in that particular uh, sense, I think, is a is is a big aspect to, to success. Uh, yeah. So, so, tell me a little bit more about some of the key differentiators between a truly open payment facilitation solution and a payment facilitation that kind of just comes in a box. It's a, more of a, just a one size fits all type thing. Sure. And there's needs in the market for something in a box, if, if that's what they want to call it, and others, because a lot of these businesses that are bringing buyers and sellers together, uh, traditionally they're called ISOs, and they can be a wholesale or a retail, which just means how much risk they're willing to take, and so they're introducing small to medium businesses, getting them merchant processing in some type of form, and some may be taking a lot of risk, others may be taking no risk and just pushing these merchant applications to a bank, but they all need to, to manage it at, at one time. And so for the simplistic people, maybe something in the box is the way they want to go because this isn't core to their business. They just want to get by and maybe make a small percentage and it's good enough for them. Um, I'm not one that likes good enough. And, um, for those that are a bit more mature and would really like to start crafting an initial solution, but then I want to grow and then I want to change business models and then I want to do this. If they can get a platform that evolves with them, that changes the game for them and their competition as well as changes the game for the banks that sponsor their business because now the banks have more trust in their solution instead of something that's just out of a box because what happens with those that choose a box, the box initially works and then it starts to break down or you start to outgrow it and what do you do at that point you're going to want something that's a little more flexible and so now in today's day and age of fintech investments and looking at all this and you're reading about mergers at the at the large end of the banks but it all comes back to payments and so those businesses that can have a far more flexible and thorough model that's maximizing their investments in the technology are going to be the ones that get the higher valuation and so we're seeing more and more discussions of mark tell me more about this open platform tell me more about how you know ai comes into play to make this platform even learn as it goes versus yeah, I'm using one of those payment facilitator in a box or another tool in a box, and now I need to add tools to it. Um, and then all of a sudden you're like, well, that just becomes another tool at that point. It's no longer the box that you needed. Yeah, absolutely. And, and kind of as you explain this, it kind of makes me wonder just if the speed of innovation these days really necessitates having a solution that can evolve with the world around it. It just seems like every time you turn around, things have moved one step further down the tracks and that if you don't have a system that can evolve, you're going to quickly find that you're further behind than you, maybe you initially thought. 
Not correct, because you know a lot of these tools, and even the ones in a box, will have APIs that you can connect to other tools. But as you state, technology changing. There's just some new, even web coding and things that have come out from Google and others, you know, just uh, this year. That's changing the game in terms of how you interact with a consumer and how you get them information in a faster time frame. But you better have a great open platform in the back end to maximize these new technologies that are coming down the pipe. And you could do it with less and less developers tool. If you partner with the right platform company, they're going to have your back because it's their success at the end of the day um, that's going to make you successful. And so, you know, anyone I talk to uh, in this space that's looking at these different options, I always say, look, if you can, if you have a developer or two and you want to take a little bit of extra time to understand the open platform environment, it's going to pay off huge dividends in the end. And we actually map that out in terms of helping them in terms of what those dividends are and sharing the cost and the risk of diving into a platform solution. What did the conversations look like? And when you first sit down with the client and you're mapping out, here's what you need and and you kind of craft a a custom solution that, that works specifically for them. What does that conversation look like? And how do you take them from, you know, just kind of the introduction to being fully set up and, and ready to go with a, with an open payment solution? Sure. it's uh, We've done it over time, right? So there's been ERP systems like Oracle and SAP and others to where it's a big, huge system. How do I really set it up for my maximum use? Or if you even use Excel, for example, there's so many powerful tools within Excel, but most of us are just using it as tables or quick reconciliation or something else. Um, but they had to build it with all this stuff in the back so that the real heavy users could do anything they wanted in the tool. And we've done the same thing, and that's where it goes to the conversation with them of, you know, everybody likes the idea of an open platform. Mark, that's great. Okay, let's go to the next discussion, kind of like the way you've just teed it up. And then the next series is really sitting down to understand their maturity curve across, like, meaning how good are they? Um, you do the old, like, CMM maturity models. How capable are you in terms of all the aspects of what a life cycle of a payment is? So you start them out with merchant onboarding, as then into transaction processing, billing, risk and compliance, reconciliation, and then how you're going to pay all these buyers um, or all these sellers that are on your solution, and then how you're going to give them reporting and analytics. So you break it down into modules and you walk them through, okay, let's see how good you are at merchant onboarding. Well, Mark, I just spent $2 million on my boarding solution. Okay, well, an open platform should also be modular. That's part of being open. So maybe you don't even use that aspect of the platform. So that way you can pick and choose what's going to maximize your investments. And that way you get to see, okay, here's my merchant onboarding that I spent $2 million. I'm now using the open platform, but I really like what they've done in onboarding, so maybe I'll sunset that. So the discussions really walk through the life cycle of every aspect of payments, walk through their footprint in terms of their team, their capabilities, and then you really build a custom plan for them. But this is all done in weeks and not months. So we still sit with the bank, also work with an open platform that's got a series of developers that are really experienced in payments and fully understand what they're getting into so that we even when the client gets into full configuration of a specific module or the whole solution, um, the platform provider has their back at that point. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to something that you, you said a little bit earlier because it, it just kind of landed with me and, and struck me. Um, it's kind of incredible. You mentioned just that that uh, this, these open source solutions can use AI to get smarter and to, to learn as it goes. Is that true? Can they really begin to kind of adapt and learn as they go using AI? Sure. So if you think about some of the roles that are now going to 
start to diminish because of AI. And I look back at my own career of accounting, for example. So you bring in a business person and an accountant to look at numbers, to look at trends, and then to come up with proactive metrics to say, okay, you're increasing your business by 10% month over month. Well, let's now change this aspect of the solution so that transactions will flow faster because I know my volume is going to be higher. Maybe I now need to look at a different processor because I can get a better rate with them once my volume increases to X. The system can teach itself and then start to evolve in terms of, you know what, I don't need an accountant to tell me that. I can recognize that trend. And when I see that trend, I need to do X. And I'm going to change this rule within the system so that my business continues to thrive without personal interaction action. So and it also happens on the fraud aspect. So when you're looking in terms of payments and if you're seeing trends, you teach it what the trends are and then all of a sudden it teaches itself going, ah, whenever I see that, I need to update this. And when I update that, it impacts this. So let me do it, the machine and the open system, instead of me just telling somebody, hey, something went out of deviation. You told me to notify you. Go ahead and do what you need to do. And then they have to log in and so the human does what the computer could have done. And so we're slowly bringing that in and educating you know, these payment systems of when you see trends, proactively change the following. Notify the following people. Call the bank. Notify the buyer or the seller. So these are all starting to come into play. And you're gonna, it's going to be table stakes soon for these platforms to be able to do this. And then the card brands and the regulators are going to require it. That's incredible, and that really seems to just streamline the entire thing and increase efficiency across the board, right? Which then, you know, anytime you talk about increasing efficiency, you're talking about saving money, which is something that, that obviously matters to businesses. Exactly, and that's why, you know, we now use the new term of our own product of intelligent payment facilitation, because that's exactly what it is. It's not just you're doing it. It's actually learning. It's actually growing. We're helping your business grow because it, it's it's doing the hard work so that you can do the easy work, which is your core, which is bringing buyers and sellers together so that you have to do less and less with the data interpretation and also offer this information to your merchants because this isn't just for the payment facilitator. It's for the merchants of the payment facilitator to get information about maybe their competition or their business trends and things. Let the solution provide that for you. And that all being the case, you know, the fact that it's customizable, the fact that um, that that it's able to to then learn using AI means that that it can it can scale along with your business as you continue to grow, right? Like it, it can it can continue to kind of fit the needs even as your business grows larger and larger. Exactly, and especially in payment facilitation, because there are very specific rules that maybe you start out small and your merchants, your submerchants are small. But then when they get over a million dollars a year, there's different rules that need to come into place. A tri-party agreement is needed between the bank, the payment facilitator, uh, and the submerchant themselves. Uh, as they start to grow, you might not want to have that risk if one merchant gets to be five million dollars and the rest are only doing fifty to a hundred thousand. You might want to call that out and, and bring that out separately. But then maybe you want a series of over one million dollar merchants over time. You need a solution that can help you evolve to tackle those issues as they come because it may not be an issue today, um, but it'll be an issue. And I like to say issues are really opportunities for improvement, that you now have an opportunity to continue to go forward with your 
sellers without interrupting your seller. Meaning, if I'm selling something on your platform, I don't want you to call me to say, hey, Mark, you're now selling more than a million dollars. I need you to sign this extra piece of paper. I'm like, well, if I'm going to sign that extra piece of paper, I may then want to renegotiate my deal with you. So we need to provide you know, payment facilitators and marketplaces. They should be looking for a platform that keeps their interaction with their sellers at a minimum so that um, they maximize their revenue at the same time and their relationships. Yeah, and once again, just highlighting that ability to to evolve over time and that the importance of that, I think I think is huge. Um, so I, I'm curious, just for, you know, to to hear from you a little bit because uh, I'm guessing a lot of what you do is is educating people and kind of spending time correcting misconceptions that exist because of disinformation that has kind of flooded the marketplace. Can you can you kind of speak to that a little bit? Just how much time maybe you do have to spend correcting these misconceptions and and maybe correcting some of that disinformation that's out there. It's quite a lot, and people that know me know I've done open town hall forums live where people can ask any question of, well, if you've heard this in the market, ask me and I'll tell you if they were really telling you the truth or not. Because what's happened is over time, payment facilitation and marketplaces and things, and you know, just to give the audience a hint, you know, marketplaces and payment facilitators are people like Amazon and Uber and Lyft, so when you get in a car, um, you you deal with Uber and Lyft. You don't deal with the taxi driver. Well, Uber and Lyft sell absolutely nothing. They represent the taxi driver, and they give you a mechanism to pay them, um, but they're not providing you any taxi service. And so there's thousands of these types of companies you know, that are out there in the market today. And what's happened with that, it's created an opportunity for people to say that they're experts. And what happens is people will, in the banking industry, that maybe have sponsored uh, the business of these marketplaces and payment facilitators, they feel that they, they know the business and they go out and they themselves interpret the card brand rules and say, well, here's what Visa and MasterCard and Amex really meant by these rules. And I kind of chuckle. I'm like, well, no, I know everybody that wrote the rules for all four card brands. Um, and I constantly work with them to debunk myths. I'm like, okay, here's what I just heard. Is this really what you mean by that new rule? And nine times out of ten, they're like, nope, Mark, you're correct. This is exactly what the rule is. I know it's left for interpretation, but your interpretation is far more accurate than the other two. There's no you know, exactness in, in many of these rules. And some people try to pontificate that there is. Or worse, they go into a client and they say, oh, you need to be a payment facilitator. You need to make sure that you're a payment facilitator. And it's, it's the wrong attitude to have because I haven't met a consultant yet that's been able to go in and listen first, really understand the business, and then help them map out all the different alternatives of, well, you could be a retail ISO, a wholesale ISO, maybe a marketplace. If you want to be a payment facilitator, you could, but I wouldn't do that for a year and here's why. And really take the time to be that trusted advisor in the industry. And that's what we take our, our pride in because We've seen, and I've been an ex-consultant, and now you know I work with many consulting firms. I only trust four or five consulting firms out there that I know really have the best interests of the client in mind versus a myriad of others that are just there to pad their own pocketbook, which is why when I'm on the speaking circuit, I always recommend to people get a second and third opinion, do your homework in terms of who's really a good consultant, and get references. You know, Don't just take their word for it. Don't ever feel that you've got to be 
pushed into a corner and that's the business model you're going to be. Banks will try to tell you that, certain consulting firms will, but really find the open consultants that care about your business and that know all the different business models and then you can start to determine, okay, now that I know I've got a kind of a path strategically, here's what I need to map my technology on top of it. So we, you know, at Amaryllis, we come at it with both consulting first, uh, which we give away all for free, and then we start to talk about if our solutions are fit for them or not. And even if it's not, we remain in contact. I say, look, use us as a trusted advisor, whether you buy from us or not, because I want to make sure that the information in the market is consistent and clear, which is why I also you know, am on the ETA Pay and Facilitator Committee uh, and a series of other committees um, just to make sure that I'm helping define what the industry feels are these what's called third-party payments. That's a great point because, as we mentioned, just kind of right off the beginning, you have this experience and this, this uh, I guess, width, uh, breadth of knowledge and, and insight when it comes to the industry. So even if people don't choose to use Amaryllis in the long run, you, you have that, that insight that can also help people uh, understand what's true and what's not in the industry. And I think that that's really valuable that, that people seek out that kind of information because you're right, there is so much disinformation out there that it's, it's really important for people to get that guidance um, because, again, like you mentioned, there, there are so many people out there who are kind of frauds when it comes to, to what they know about the industry and about what's true and what's not. Right, because if, they, if they've never worked for a payment facilitator, how can you consult a payment facilitator? If you've never worked at an acquiring bank, how can you recommend an acquiring bank? You know, it, it, the list goes on and on of, of these people that are out there that just because you experience it, I mean, that's like saying if I sit with Michael Jordan and he shows me how to play basketball for a day, all of a sudden I'm going to be an NBA star. It, it, it's, just, it's just not it, right? So you have to live it. You have to have scars on your back of what works and what doesn't. I've been fortunate enough to have roles at each of them. And so when we bring in our team of consultants, uh, I'm consistently educating our team, educating our banking partners, and they, they like that education because it, it's real life. It's actual. It's factual. And not only just the, the people that provide this information, but there's so many tools and so many options. You need to narrow down your tools and options quickly. And it's, it's not the client's day job to know all the tools, to know all the options. So what happens is laziness kicks in. I'm going to talk to consultant A. He brought me three solutions. That's probably going to be good enough. And the market needs to understand, don't settle for good enough. Get back to what does good look like in the market, and then you can narrow down your choices. Absolutely. You know, I, I met Dirk Nowitzki once, and I'm still a bad basketball player. So uh, I think I think your point is well, is well taken there, Mark. Uh, that's Mark Bishop, the CEO of Amaryllis Payment Solutions. Mark, thank you so much for joining us today, and I appreciated your insight on the, uh, on the topic. No, I appreciate it, too. It's... Uh, you know, I'm always looking forward to different ways to help educate uh, those in the market and uh, happy to share at any time. Absolutely. Well, let's do it again soon. Excellent. Thanks a lot, Tanya.